Welcome to GM Street, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. It is Friday, and usually we do our Saturday sit-downs, but today there's a bit of breaking news coming out of the New England Patriots camp. Three big figureheads, three big... I wouldn't say egos, but now they're being described as egos. There was a big feature today at ESPN.com written by Seth Wickersham, basically describing trouble in paradise with the Patriots. I am Tate Frazier, and I am joined by Mike Lombardi. We're going to try to figure this thing out. Lombardi, how you doing? I'm doing great, Tate Frazier. How are you, man? It's always good to talk to you. I'm sorry I'm not with you there in Los Angeles, but I came to see my god, my grandson, Leo, and uh, you know, it's just kind of nice to get out of L.A. a little bit and you know see a little new baby, so it's two for me, so I'm two for two. Well, you're going. You're choosing family, which is a thing that Tom Brady always used to do. That that was what Brady was famous for for always choosing football or family. There was no in between. But now we got the TB12 brand. We got a New York Times best-selling book. We've got some questions and problems about his trainer. We've mentioned some of these things, you know, when passing on the podcast as, as we've covered the NFL this season. But now apparently it's become. A, a larger-than-life situation with the Patriots, which Robert Kraft, Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, these three big figureheads of the Patriots, and figuring out who's going to last uh, longer than the rest, basically, and see who's going to be the last man standing. Just generally speaking, when you hear this story and you see it get reported, are you shocked by it? Well, look, I think you have to understand that winning always is the hardest thing. I mean, Pat Riley didn't write the book about about winning, about the you know the... The, the disease of me without it having some effect. So I think that, you know, obviously you win two Super Bowls in the last three years. What people forget is they went 10 years between Super Bowls, right? Mm-hmm. So there was always trying to climb that mountain and trying to get back to where they are. Now they've won two of the last three. And, you know, people, and Tom is at a point in his age where, you know, he's older. People are waiting for the end. Is Belichick going to stay? Is Belichick going to leave? Is Tom going to keep playing until he's 55 years old and collect social security? I don't know. But I think the reality here is I think the storm is set up because of the way Garoppolo has played in San Francisco. And the, the ending of the, you know, of, of Tom being at his age. And there's no sustainable movement within New England as who's going to be the next quarterback. So I think there lies the genesis of the story. And how it all plays out, you know, whether it's accurate, not accurate, you know, some of the details in the reporting seems to be accurate, but it has to be from people that are in the building, because when you look at it, I mean, they know about emails, they know about other things. So somebody in that building is telling somebody what's going on. And we had, even in the piece Wickersham put, he, he says that, you know, they reached out to the Patriots for comment. They said that the story was very convoluted. Some of the details were not in, were not accurate, but they also didn't specify what details and what situations were not accurate. One thing that we did see uh, as a viewing audience was the Tom Brady situation with Josh McDaniels against the Buffalo Bills. I think that was December 3rd when that happened. Brady just basically snapped on the sideline and, and you know, he missed Brandon Cooks on this pass. He turns to Josh McDaniels. He yells the expletive F you. Um, everyone freaks out over it. They're like, you know, what's going on with Brady? What's going on with McDaniels? What's going on with the, with the Patriots? But basically the way it gets tied up is he's a competitive guy and this is who Tom Brady is and we all move on but now we're saying that situation was basically boiled over and bubbling over throughout this entire season and it comes down to his trainer a guy that had you know Guerrero a guy that had been boxed out by Belichick and the Patriots before from being in the building he's a guy that you know he has some some weird you know ideas for how to handle the body and a diet um, just that situation alone with Brady you know what have you heard there and what have you seen there and what do you think about that situation 
Well, you know, first of all, I think that the, the reaction to Josh on the sideline of the Buffalo game, uh, we've seen that before with Bill O'Brien in the Redskins game just a few years ago where Billy O'Brien mm-hmm. was yelling at him and he got on. And I think a Tom is, uh, you know, when you become 40 years old and you've got five Super Bowls, sometimes being yelled at isn't always an easy thing to take. And I think he probably was reactionary to it. Came out later and said to Mc, that, you know, he apologized that he's been very supportive of McDaniels as he tries to get a head coaching job. But, you know, I mean, that's the way they coach in New England. Look, they're going to coach hard. They're not going to change how they do things. Everybody's accountable. Everybody has to sustain the, the wrath. And, and once you lose that, you lose New England's program, right? You can't have the way they are. You can't do your job if one guy is allowed to skate and one guy is not allowed to skate. And so that is the pillar of what they believe in. And so that once you lose that, they've lost their program. And so they're never going to change who they are or how they coach. That's what they do, and I think that Tom probably, and I don't want to speak for Tom, but I think that there are times where there's frustration that runs into effect because he does feel like, you know, maybe I, you know, maybe I did make a mistake, but, you know, I've won five Super Bowls, so let me have one or two mistakes. And I think that when you chase excellence like they do in New England, you know, mistakes can't be tolerated. So the Guerrero thing to me, Tate Frazier, is, is interesting in the sense that when I was there, it was more harmonious. He was you know, obviously players were going to see him. He was on the team playing. He's coming around. And since I've left, I don't know what has transpired or what has caused the the shift in the the way that, that has happened. I'm not in the building. I don't talk about it with Belichick in terms of, of, of what he's thinking. I talk about football, but I don't talk about those kind of things. So that's the one that I don't really have a handle on. I really don't know what's going on there because when I was there, he was viewed as an asset. He wasn't viewed as a liability. Well, you talk about the program and the Patriots program, and basically it's a very selfless you know, way to look at football, and it's a way to put the Patriots first and then your second. It's sort of like what Indiana basketball is. We don't have the names on the back of our jersey. We're going to be, you know, it's about the program. It's not about the people involved. But when you have right. a, a Tom Brady who is a, you know, a Michael Jordan-esque you know, football player, a Joe Montana-type talent at quarterback – Sometimes if you go above the program, and he never really has done that, but you know now he's writing this book. He, he's got his own TB12 diet program. It, it, it's sort of like he's deviated from the plan of you know I I take less money and I let these Patriots win, and I'm fine to be home with my family. And that's sort of the angle I think they're taking with this whole situation. And I'm not sure if that's actually what the case is, but that that's just sort of how it feels from the outside looking in at this point. Yeah, you know, it does. And I think that what you have to do is when you read these columns, is you know, obviously, you know, Seth has done a lot of work. He's got a lot of reporting. I'm sure he's got a lot of sources within the column, but he also has a lot of Patriot. It seems like he has some Patriot sources, and you've got to try to figure out who that could be and what goes on. I mean, this is going to come to an end at some point. I mean, Brady can't play till he's 50. Belichick always said he doesn't want to coach, like, you know, until he's 77. So, you know, things are going to go their separate way. The only thing I will say, when they traded Garoppolo, you know, the Patriots have always believed in sustainability. There's two kind of organizations. There's solution-based, which makes decisions based on the day of, of the timing. And then there's sustainable organizations, which are organizations that look at a decision and see how it affects them today, tomorrow, and then down the road. And Belichick has always been a sustainable organizational person. And for him to make a decision to trade Garoppolo, really with the understanding that perhaps they can't sustain this past, say, let's next year, that's what causes some concern. Now, can they replace Garoppolo with a draft pick? I'm sure they can. Can they develop another quarterback? I'm sure they can. I think all those questions, you know, add to the fuel to this story. As the Patriots decline to comment on it, they make their statement. You know, that's that's perfect Patriots speak. 
Tate Frazier because they don't want to have to address this come Monday when they have a press conference. I mean, they're going to refer back to this press release, which is what they should do, and get out of the way, and they can focus on whoever they have to play. And we talked about the Jimmy G trade when it happened. It seemed very unlike Bill Belichick to, I mean, what do the Patriots do? They get rid of guys before they, you know, are over the hump. You know, they get ahead of it, basically. That's what they've always done. And so for them to let Tom Brady ride this thing out, and, and granted they should, he just won a Super Bowl for him. Why would they not let him ride it out? But but making that Garoppolo trade, when it happened, you know, you said on the podcast, you know, that this is very, I'm sure this isn't necessarily Bill Belichick's decision. I think he loved Jimmy. He loved, you know, what they groomed with him and obviously saw the talent there. So Jimmy goes and wins five straight with the 49ers. He's watching those games and he's thinking to himself and probably kicking himself to think, well, I had this thing all set up. You know, Tom maybe could take us to the Super Bowl this year, walk away from the game. But now, you know, I lost our guy and now I'd have to restart the whole program again. I mean, that's probably frustrating for a guy that's been there for 17 years to know that he has to start from ground zero again. Yeah, you ever watch Shark Tank? Yes, of course. You ever watch, yeah, you know, what, what I love about watching Shark Tank is Mark Cuban has this unique ability to be able to define what the person in front of them is really ultimately trying to do. And sometimes it's not always as clear as I'm selling, you know, uh, something for the bottom of a tree, right? You know, like, you know, sometimes it's marketing. And I think this whole story really comes down to people trying to get a grasp of why Jimmy was traded. And I think the, the, that's not mentioned really enough is the fact that what made this so difficult, and I was one of the biggest guys that would say they would never trade Jimmy because that's what I truly believe because I saw sustainability in Jimmy, was the fact that Don Yee represents Tom Brady and he also represents Jimmy. And so to get a deal done with Don Yee was going to be prohibitive because Don Yee knows that he that Tom Brady is his guy, right? So he can't really let that slip. He's got to be able to keep that, cultivate that, and life goes going to go on, and earning power is going to happen for Tom Brady well beyond whenever he decides to stop playing. So that's the fly in the ointment. To me, this whole essence of this whole story is really about, when you boil it down, is, is trying to get a nail on why they traded Jimmy G. And I think all the other stuff, whether it's Alex Guerrero, you know, who gets yelled at, the Patriot way, all that stuff to me is, is not real. I think the essence of the story is is trying to figure out why they did it and why they did made that decision and how people have reacted to it. I think that's the cause and effect. And let's talk about the cause and effect about the timing of this story. So this story comes out, and we're about to hit the playoffs. I mean, this is prime time, and we've seen the Patriots. I mean, they sometimes used to feed off you know, I mean, th- this is this is headlines. You throw up there and you feed off this sort of stuff. I mean, that's what Belichick has always done. That's what Brady's always done. They feed off these sort of things, these negative media stories. And you know, Deflategate's a great example. They bounce back from that. They win a Super Bowl. Um, does this does this do something in that locker room where it pulls guys apart, or do you think it's going to galvanize the Patriots as we've seen them do for you know the past seventeen years? You know, I think the one thing you have to do as a leader is, is you can't ignore problems that come out, right? So you have to be able to look at them and deal with them. And I'm sure Bill, and I don't want to speak for Bill here, but I'm sure Bill's going to go in front of the team whenever they get back together, whether it's Sunday afternoon or Monday morning, and just say, hey, there's the article. Look, you know, we're focused on Jacksonville. We're focused on trying to get the best thing. You know, if anybody asks you about the article, let's focus on Jacksonville. Let's put it away because they can only control. I mean, they are truly stoic in that building. Nobody wants to really believe it because nobody understands the stoicism value that's brought to the table. But the the understanding in that building is to focus on what they can control and what they can't. And they can't control people's reaction to the ESPN article. They can't. 
they can't do that. So they can only control who they play and how they play the next week. And I think that's what really ultimately will will generate and will drive their interest. And Bill's good at circling the forces. Look, I think Bill's done a remarkable job coaching this team because there's been a lot of injuries. There's been a lot of a lot of of conversations about the Jimmy G, all those things, and that they've been able to pull together and find a way to win games without a team that I would say on defense is one of their most talented teams at all. I think this defense probably it, it will struggle come playoff time. You and I have both talked about this before, mm-hmm. and I think that'll be a problem. Plus the fact that you add that he's got two coaches, Matt Patricia and Josh McDaniels, that are up for head coaching jobs and probably going to get one. And it, that that's the whole thing. I mean, it feels like we're reaching the end of this dynasty. And this entire run, we've had three, you know, we've had Kraft, we've had Brady, we've had Belichick. And I think right now everyone's trying to figure out who's going to outlast it the longest. And obviously Kraft is probably the primo pick there because he owns a team and, you know, it is Robert Kraft. We, we all well, understand that. Well, there's that. still one other guy in this whole – Tate Frazier, there's still one other guy. There's, there's Jonathan Kraft that's still in this. And, and he wasn't mentioned in the piece. His name isn't, but he is going to run the Patriots franchise when when Robert Kraft decides to step away, or if something unfortunately were happen to him, and then that's what's going to transfer the organization. And when that transfer of power happens, that's what the new organization will look like. And I mean, do we have any inkling as to how he felt? I mean, I I think the crazy thing is, it feels like from reading the stories and just sort of circling and and sort of figuring out what's going on up there. I mean, it seemed like Kraft and Brady were on the same side of the situation where Tom Brady's our quarterback. We're sticking with Brady. We don't need to have a fall guy or, or a backup guy like Jimmy G. We can get rid of him. And Belichick was more in the I'm thinking five years down the line, not not this year, not next year. And I want to have a franchise quarterback like Jimmy G. And that's where the rift starts, you know. So I, I just don't know if, if, if Jonathan Kraft, is he in the camp of let's let Tom Brady do this diet plan and play quarterback till he's 60 years old? Or is he in the camp of, you know, I wish we would have kept Jimmy G. It, it, it just seems like that's where it is. It, it's the, the divide is between do we let Brady run this diet plan out for the next five to ten years, see how long he can play football, or do we have an actual plan in place? Because that's that's not very feasible. But we know it's not feasible for him to play football for the next five or ten. I mean, he might think he can, but the reality of it is it's going to be hard because, like anything, you know, you take hits, your eye level starts to come down, you don't make the throws off the field that you used to make. I mean, it's just human nature. Your reflexes, they stop you from flying plane because your reflexes, as you get older, tend to slow down. And I think that's, you know, that's the case here. And, and look, they don't have a viable solution at quarterback. It's not Brian Hoyer. As much as I like Brian Hoyer as a person, He's not going to lead the Patriots to any Super Bowl. So they're going to have to find somebody when when Belichick leaves or when Brady retires. There's going to have to be a passing of the torch to the next quarterback. Everybody, I think, in the building thought that was going to be Jimmy. Mm-hmm. But I think the reality of it is is now that Jimmy's not there, they're going to have to find another way to get, that, to get to another Jimmy. Whether they can do that or not, I don't know. They have some other needs they need to fix on defense. You know, I mean, when... This offseason, when Jimmy was available in March and April, when they could have traded Jimmy for the most valuable, they didn't do it. And I think that lies another part into the story is because they didn't trade Jimmy in the offseason. Then why would you trade him two days before the deadline? You know, why didn't you trade him then? And I think that adds more intrigue, more, you, you know, you get more into the whole uh, conspiracy theorist of the situation because of that. And, and those theories are basically this, right? I mean, Tom Brady 
if you're Bill Belichick, you you stand strong in that situation. You say, we're not going to trade Jimmy G. And then you're going to let Tom Brady go out there at 40 years old and let him show his signs of age, those reflexes slowing down. It's basically like letting Harrison Ford fly planes around. You know, it's like we're, we're going to see him yeah. and, and know that it's, you know, it's about time we bring him down from the sky and let him walk around again. Um, yeah. and, that, and that's Somebody sort of. needs to take the license. Away. Yeah. yeah. Somebody, I mean, look, let's face it. I mean, look, Tom Brady's won five Super Bowls for the team. I mean, he's. He's going into the Hall of Fame. He's he's the, one of the greatest players who's ever played the game. Can't disrespect, you know, the succession plan. So that's what became the problem. I mean, if you know, if it was easy, like when Joe Gibbs had, you know, whether it was Mark Rippon, he went to Doug Williams or Stan Humphreys. I mean, those guys are good players, but they weren't of the magnitude of this, you know, Joe Theismann. And so Gibbs kept making changes at the quarterback position rather easily because. Those guys didn't have legendary status. This you're talking about a legend, right? Mm-hmm. And replacing legends are always difficult. It would have been the same thing in Miami, but Danny Marino tears his Achilles, and so the injury keeps him away. And I've said this before. Usually transitions from older players to retirement are caused more by injury than a player just saying, I want to retire. The Barry Sanders situation is unique. Most players don't stop early from playing. They, they stop late from playing because they love the game. And I, and I think that that's what happened. I mean, in 14, when we drafted Jimmy, I don't think anybody thought going into the 2018 season that Tom Brady at age 41 would still be playing quarterback. I don't think there's no precedent to go look it up. You just don't have any history behind it. So when you don't have any history behind it and a player can play at that level, it's hard to really say, well, this is going to happen. So you draft a quarterback, you spend three years grooming him, and then all of a sudden, everything you thought was true ends up not being true because you got, you, you got and so now they trade him at a time when it was the least amount of value. That's the other thing. I think if they would have traded Jimmy in May and March of last year for a one and a two, which I'm not sure anybody was going to pay for a two-tape trade. You know, here's the reality. Most people think, and you and I have talked about this on this podcast numerous times, most people didn't see Jimmy the way I saw Jimmy. Most people thought I was shilling for Belichick trying to get the draft pick up. Oh, Lombardi just trying to help his boy out, you know, telling everybody. You know how I thought about Jimmy sincerely. And so nobody was willing to pay. Everybody doesn't have a problem paying for Deshaun Watson or for Mitchell Trubisky for an unknown quality. They'll pay for those drafts, but they have a hard time paying for each car, which was Jimmy. And I think that adds more intrigue to this whole situation. And, you know, I mean, obviously that causes a rift if you have, you know, someone in the summertime when his value is quote-unquote higher than it would be at the trade deadline. And they do hold him out for this whole thing. I mean, if that was a decision that was made by one of these parties, whether it's Kraft, Belichick, whoever it may be, I mean, are they kicking themselves when they had to trade him two days before the deadline? And is that hangover, you know, cause this sort of rift to even, you know, reignite itself at this point? I think, like I said, I think on, you know, Mark, I think you've got to boil down really the genesis of the story is, is I think people are upset that they made, I think it's the, they know they made a bad decision in the sense that, this is the only decision they could make because of the situation. They couldn't franchise him. Don, he represents both parties. I mean, they were going to go from Aaron. They were going to go from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers, yep. and now they're going to go from Brett Favre to whomever. And I think that causes the the, the risk, and that causes the struggle. You know, whenever you whenever you're in an organization, do you think everybody gets along and it's harmonious all the time? Absolutely not. You know, there's things that happen in organizations that you know, can make people conflicted and, and make people upset or, you know, and so you work your way through it. And they've had 17 years of working their way through problems. This is one of those where for the first time it appears, you know, that they didn't do the right thing for the longevity of the franchise. They did the right thing for the short term of the franchise, not the longevity. 
Absolutely. And uh, yeah, you mentioned the Rogers Favre thing. That was my my last thing I was going to bring up because, I mean, this is sort of like if, you know, Brett Favre in 2008 went to Ted Thompson and the Packers and said, I want to come back. And they said, yeah, we want you to come back, too. And he never goes to the Vikings. And who knows? Aaron Rodgers may have gotten traded and, and we have a whole different you know timeline to this whole thing. And I think that's sort of yeah, what happened and in I New think England. The thing you're, right. And the thing you're missing there is there's no owner there, right? Yeah, exactly. So you have nobody that you have to you don't have to. There's no, you know, there's no owner involved in trying to understand the dynamics of everything. And I think that there lies this different situation. They did a clinical decision and it worked out for them. And thankfully that Aaron Rodgers turned out to be a great player because if it didn't, you know, Ted's retired this year, but it would have been a lot sooner before when Ted would have retired had that not worked out so well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, is there anything else you want to bring up about this Patriot story? I mean, I know it's a hot topic. A lot of people are talking about it. We're obviously going to get a lot of stories heading into the playoffs. But I mean, for, from what I can tell, it, it seems like this is something that we sort of saw when the Jimmy G trade happened because of how irregular it was for the program there. And now this is all stemming from that situation. Right. You know, and I think, look, the, the, I've said this before. It's just because Everybody, and I've written this, and I, it's in my book, it's talking about sustainable values and situational values, and I think that this is one of those where the Patriots forced themselves in a corner because I don't think they really intended on trading them last March. I know they didn't want to trade them last March because they would have if they wanted to, right? Uh-huh. And so they didn't trade them, and now that they did, and, and it's how he's playing. I mean, this story wouldn't be a story if Garoppolo wasn't playing to the level that he's playing, but... It's so obvious that he's so good, right? But like it was obvious to me, and we would talk about it, that he's so good that people are like, God, they just traded a franchise quarterback for a high second-round pick. I think there lies the story, and I think people are trying to get to, did somebody make Belichick do it? Is it, is it what happened? How did it all come down? You know, I think there lies all the thousand questions. All the other stuff, the trainer, to me, doesn't seem as relevant as that. And there lies the fuel to the story. And look, when you have had this much success as they've had, you're going to have to deal with some of this because people want to take some of the credit that, that they think they deserve because of the winning. And it's like I said from the start of this podcast, it's not easy to be selfless all the time, especially when you have five Super Bowl trophies on your mantle. Exactly, exactly. And and it's a situation there where obviously all eyes are going to be in New England at this point. But, uh, yeah, it's it'll, it'll be interesting to see how this whole thing plays out. Um, quickly, before we get out of here, I just want to do the uh, the, the quote-unquote Saturday sit-down, the thing that we always do, even though this will be going up on Friday. we got Wild Card Weekend coming up. Uh, We're going to go up on Friday now. We're going to go up on Friday on the Saturday sit-down now because the games are on Saturday and Sunday, so we're going to go up on Friday, I hope, exactly. to at least give people a chance to listen to this before the games start out, right? Exactly. We're going to call it now. Now it would be the Friday sit-down. Um, quickly. The before, Friday focus, yeah. The, the Friday focus. There you go. Way to go, Lombardi. You're producing yourself at this point. I'm a wordsmith. You are. Hey, <laughs> we got first game, we got uh, Titans-Chiefs, um, Tennessee going to Kansas City, going to Arrowhead. DeMarco Murray is now officially out for this game. That will hurt the run game. Derrick Henry came out and said he played soft in their last game and expects to play um, I guess hard in this game, more physical in this game against the Chiefs. Chiefs run defense. We'll see what they're up to. Um, this is a nine and a half point spread. A lot of people are thinking the Chiefs will win this one pretty handily. Uh, when you look at this game, Lombardi, what's the main focus? You know, I, I think the focus has got to be that the Tennessee Titans have to find Mario that's got to make plays in this game. And, and you're not going to make plays against Marcus uh, against Marcus Peters, you're going to have to go the other side. And Decker and their receivers, especially uh, Delonte Walker, is going to have to make plays in the middle of the field. They're going to have to make plays with their passing game. They're going to have to secure the edges, make plays in their passing game, and then feature Henry in the running game. If you think you're going to go on the road in Kansas City with an extremely loud crowd noise and try to establish the run 
and think you're going to hold back Kansas City's offense, you're going to make a mistake. Last year we saw the four team, the four home teams won convincingly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was the four teams won that played at home, and because they're the better teams, clearly. And I think Kansas City's the better team. For Tennessee to win the game, I think Mariota's got to have a really good day. They've got to be able to handle, you know, he's got to make plays in the passing game, and he's got to be able to feature his arm and then feature his legs. And they don't just score enough points. I mean, that's the problem. I mean, Kansas City can score. And Kansas City's defense, actually, you know, as much as I think they're not very good, which they're not, I mean, but when they play against teams, I mean, they've had moments where, you know, they, they've had games where they've held, they've held one, two, three, four. They've held like seven teams under 20 points or 20 or less. So I, I think they can do enough here, and I don't think Tennessee's explosive enough to really feel like they could do anything. I like Kansas City strongly here. Yeah, and we're going to see if Mariota, he came out and said he's 100% healthy, so uh, he basically implied that he will be running the ball more because he said that's a that's a weapon that he has, so we'll see what, what that looks like on Saturday. And the first game, that game is at uh, 4.35 Eastern, 1.35 Pacific. The second game on Saturday, we have the Atlanta Falcons coming out to Los Angeles in the Coliseum to take on the Rams. Uh, Sean McVay, Jared Goff, all these guys, I watched all their press conferences this week. They're basically saying they've had a lot of big games this season. This is just another big game. Are you, any calls for concern with those young guys in their first playoff game? You know, look, I don't think playoff experience, I, I think it's kind of an overrated thing, to be honest with you, Tate Frazier. I'm not sure it really matters as much. You know, but I, I think what matters more than anything is is them to have a good plan. And I think when you look at Sean McVay and you watch him against Seattle Seahawks, the first game, they didn't play as well. They went up there. The second game, they really played well. You know, he has an understanding of how to attack this Carroll style of defense that they run in Atlanta. So I favor that there. My biggest concern, if I'm a Falcon fan, is Wade Phillips versus Steve Sarkeesian. Playoffs are about more about the coaching matchups, the chess matchup within the coaching ranks, than they are about playoff experience. I mean, guys, look. You play the Alabama-Georgia game Monday night. You know, some of these kids that are playing, I mean, Ty Gurley's played in a ton of big games in his career. I mean, this is no different than playing going into going into Jacksonville and playing Florida when he was at Georgia. I mean, they're big games, right? These mm-hmm. are guys that played at big schools that play big games. So I think that playoff experience just tends to be a little bit overrated. I know Belichick used to tell the team all the time, look, Lawrence Taylor had no playoff experience until his first game when he had two, strip, two sacks and two strip fumbles. You know, and basically took the game over. It's not how you play. It isn't about your experience. So I tend to remove that a little bit. And I think that Sark is going to have a really hard time handling the, uh, the, the, the defensive structure of what the Rams are going to do to him and how they're going to attack his protection. And I think that's going to be the difference in the game. I think Atlanta struggles offensively when they have to play against a really good defense that understands how to attack them. And I don't think Stark has answers for how to change it. And I think there lies the problem. I like the Rams, really, because I think they'll be more on offense. I think McVay knows how to attack the defense. I think Phillips knows how to attack the offense. And I think they're really good in the kicking game. And I think that'll be the difference. Absolutely. I would say this. The Rams, I mean, in everything I've seen pregame for this game, they seem very cool, calm, and composed and ready to go, um, which is what you want to see from a young team, especially from McVay. He's been great talking about the whole situation and uh, going against the Falcons. He basically said, we're playing the NFC champions in my mind, and that's how we're looking at it. We're the underdogs in this game. So. That's probably the best way to view it. Um, next up, we got the first game on Sunday. We got the Buffalo Bills going down to Jacksonville. Um, that game is at 10.05 uh, Pacific time, 1.05 Eastern. Um, Buffalo Bills and then Tyrod, and Tyrod Taylor taking on this Jaguars defense, which looks you know unstoppable right now. Um, what do you see for this game? I think this game's all about the first quarter, Tate Frazier. I think mm-hmm. it's all about who gets the lead. I think if Buffalo can get the lead early in the game and can play a pace and style that they need 
If Tyrod Taylor has to play from behind, it's over, okay? It's over. Tell Cousin Sal to double down at halftime. It's over, all right? I mean, to me, they've got to play a certain style, a certain way for them, and it has to be with the lead. Meanwhile, Jacksonville is another team. They've got to play with the lead. So the first quarter, to me, is really important. And I think what's got to happen is Jacksonville being the bigger, more physical team. Buffalo is not a physical team. They want to play a seven-man front. They want to play cover two in the back end. They want to handle their passing game. Can they stop this Jacksonville run game? Can they stop it to where they get control of it and handle the play action? Because Bortles has to be a play action passer. Bortles is easy. When you run play action like they do in Jacksonville and like Garrett Goff does quite a bit in, in Los Angeles, is it separates the defense. It makes it easy for the quarterback to read where to throw the ball. And I think that arises the problem for the Bills. They're going to have to commit to the run game, which is going to let Bortles have a chance to throw his play-action passes and make him better than he actually really is. I think this is a really hard matchup for the Bills. I don't think they have enough explosiveness on offense. Jacksonville won't turn the ball over unless Bortles is forced to throw drop-back passes, which I don't think they will. I like Jacksonville to play really well here. I think their defense can dominate the defensive front. Will make will make Buffalo struggle without McCoy perhaps being 100. percent It even becomes a more difficult challenge. I think Buffalo is really not a talented team enough to be able to beat Jacksonville Jaguars on the road. And if they can't control the pace, I think it's going to be clearly all Jacksonville. Yep, and we're going to see if Doug Marone can handle his old his old team. Uh, that's pretty much been the biggest storyline of that game heading into it. Uh, final game of the Wild Card Weekend, we have the Carolina Panthers going down to New Orleans. That game is at 1:40 Pacific, 4:40 Eastern. Um, this is the first time that the NFC's two NFC South teams have you know faced each other in the playoffs uh, since the division was created in 2002. Panthers are obviously down 0 and 2 in the series, taking on the Saints again. Um, in this game, I mean, is there anything to point out? I mean, most people are taking the Saints in this one. Yeah, well, you know, look, it's hard to beat a team three times in a row, right? We mm-hmm. played Pittsburgh when I was in Cleveland in '94. We lost to them three times in a row. They beat us. They're just for a better team. And I think, you know, I, my question to you is: as a Panther fan, are we going to see good Cam or bad Cam? I think we're going to see. Right? I think we're going to I mean, see Cam run a lot. If I had to guess, I think if we see good Cam and Cam wants to be able to take over the game and and he wants to give it an effort, I think this is the one road team that can win here, right? I think the other three home teams are pretty well locked. I think this is the one road team that could come in and play well. I just don't know what Cam we're going to see. I do think this though, Tate Frazier. I think Drew Brees has got to play better than he has been playing. I think his arm is going to have to make some throws because I think one thing about playoff time, people say, well. You win in the playoffs because you can run the ball. I think that's total hogwash. You win in the playoffs when you can get the lead and play from in front, and the only way to do that is to really throw the football. And I'm sure that these teams know each other so well. They know each other's plays really well. I think this will be the best game of the weekend. I don't know which way to go. I'm going to go New Orleans here because I think they've beaten them so many times. They understand how to play them. But I also think that if Cam decides that he's going to play to a way that he can be conducive to playing, I think it favors them. But they got to figure out to run an offense with McCaffrey in the game and not just run in place for McCaffrey. And because they can do it with Kamara, they can't do it with McCaffrey, which why Kamara ends up being a better player. To me, that's the difference in the game. Yeah, and I think the my biggest thing to watch out for in this game is using McCaffrey more as a decoy and Greg Olson as the number one guy. He's supposed to be 100% healthy, so we'll see how that looks. And when Cam has Olson, he at least has a safety blanket, um, and he hasn't had that right. all year. Um, so that's one thing to watch out for. Uh, any final thoughts going into wildcard weekend? Uh, you just said that you think the Panthers have the best chance to, to get a steal on the road. But other than that, anything to look yeah. out for? You know, I think it's really going to be interesting to see where we are with Mariota. I think if Tennessee gets beaten this game, I think it's going to be really hard for 
you know, Mike Malarkey to keep his job. I think there's a lot of dissension going on in Tennessee about the play of the quarterback. And if Mariota doesn't play to the level that people think he could, that job could open up even after a playoff performance. So I think that's something to look out for. I think Buffalo is a great story. Unfortunately, I just don't think they have enough arsenal in their team to be able to beat Jacksonville. And then it's going to be interesting to see how Blake Bortles handles the pressure, handles the game, and how much they take Blake Bortles out of the game. Because as much as they want to talk about how much they love Blake and what he's doing, I think they're concerned about him costing them a chance because of his inaccuracy and his inability to put the ball where he needs to be. So I think it's great. We've got a great weekend ahead of us, Tate Frazier. It'll be awesome. You'll watch a lot of games. Yep, we got many more Blake Bortles facts on the way. Uh, this has been another edition of GM Street. We're going to call it the Friday Focus. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Mike Lombardi. And we'll see you Saturday night, right? Sunday night, after all the games. We're going to review them, right, Tate Frazier? Exactly. Sunday night. We'll be back again. So please tune in, and we'll see you then. <laughs>